And we are live here, episode seven of the Lucas Grandsire podcast. Very excited about this guest today. It is, of course, the great Brendan Fitzgerald, the man behind uh, Fitz TV, Fitz Nation, all that good stuff. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, Lucas. Thanks for having me on, man. Excited. Uh, of course. And uh, I'm sorry I was trying to time it with the, you know, the the people drinking during the interviews. You try to time it so you can drink while you're talking. Oh, man. We messed it up on the first one. Oh, we're just hanging out, man. I'm taking a sip of water and, uh, you know, I'm good. Because, <laughs> you know, when you when you talk to the fighters, a lot of them, you know, they're sipping on something, BCAs or stuff, if they're responsible at the gym. And then you have to time it. So uh, even if your question is about the cutoff as they're about to drink, you have to try to stretch it as much as you can so that it makes sense. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. You don't hear them guzzling it down or anything. Yeah, man, that's how it works. Yeah, go ahead. Now, so you're so you're also working today, man. I assume you're what quarantining in the hotel, or how does that kind of work ahead of the show? Yeah, yeah, I'm in a hotel. Um, the pattern has been every Friday, you know, I get a test during the week, and then every Friday come down to the hotel. Uh, it's you know relatively close to the apex, but um, even for Las Vegas based employees, which uh, I am, I live out here in Las Vegas. But since I'm going to be on the arena floor, if you're going to be on the arena floor, interact with the fighters at all, you got to spend the previous night in the hotel after getting a test, and then the test comes back clear, and you're cleared to go to work. So that's been the pattern since uh, May, since we started doing shows from the apex. Now, has it has it gotten it uh, tough so far? Because I know some people they don't mind it, others a little bit tough, and it must be weird for you too because you live in Vegas, so it's like you're you know quarantining uh, near your home. But is it getting tough? Yeah, I mean it's not. Um, I don't know. It one of those things where, in some ways, it's good. Like it's it's good to because usually we're traveling for shows, and I'm just in a hotel by myself. So you know when you have a family at home, sometimes it's good to get away and just have a quiet room to do what you need to do put all of your focus on the show, you know, in the, you know, 20, 12 hours, 18 hours before the show. Um, but on the other side, man, sleeping in your own bed, if you're here in town is, is just the best, like I can't sleep as well here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm always waking up at like three in the morning, four in the morning, trying to doze back and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, no, there's good and bad, like with anything. So uh, one, one thing I'm curious about is we see you guys, you're doing these, what, three hour, four hour, you know, even longer shows. How do you guys do with the bathroom breaks? Like, I assume you got to start getting antsy at some point. Like, you, you must have it down through science at this point. So, for me, it's not a science necessarily. I've been trying to figure that out because, <laughs> you know, like you said, it's a long time to talk. I mean, sometimes we're on the air for six hours. You know, there's yeah. there's very few jobs in broadcasting, period, that are six hours of talking. Um, and so that's a lot. And also to speak with uh, such energy and, you know, if you get some finishes and fun fights, you're yelling, you know, so you want to keep your voice good. And the way to keep your voice good is to stay hydrated. So you want to stay hydrated, but then of course, bathroom breaks, you know, um, I'm not one of those that takes a lot of breaks and it's possible to go through a full show to not have to use the restroom at all. But um, if you do, there's strategic points. Like if we're going to go, I mean, generally, the, the time for the play-by-play -play, uh, announcer to go is right after we re read um, the lead to a feature of, like, the fight coming up, right? You know, you'll kind of get that sound that everyone knows the next fight is coming, and then we're on, like, a recording there, and then the fighter walks happen. And a lot of times, the fighter walks happen on commercial breaks. So, you know, tonight, I'm working with DC and Bisping, and... You know, so it's good to have two guys on the call with us. And so, you know, if I need to, you know, take a minute or two or whatever and run back there and then you got two walks, which is almost like, you know, three, four minutes plus the combo feature. I mean, you're, t you're talking about five minutes there 
to sneak it in if you can. Or if we get some early finishes and we use the desk crew to kind of fill in the gaps, like at the end of the prelim, sometimes we have like a 10 minute break. So yeah. we always make it happen. I feel like with the, the voice thing, like if the regular person were to try to do what you guys do, by the end of the show, they'd be calling the main event and be like, you know, we're going to see all these guys. They sound like Tony <laughs> Robbins at that point. Like it, it really does sound like it, w- it would stress your voice a lot. It does, man. And uh, you got to take care of it. Like I've had some shows where I'm like raspy on <laughs> the main event call. And it's like, you, you know, that's the highest profile fight. Like, you know, if like I've been under the weather, you know, last year when we went to Rochester, I remember. And so then like by the time the main event, you're like your voice is just holding on, you know, you're doing whatever you can. And like I said, it's a long time to talk, but generally it's 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 just you just get it done. You just kind of figure it out. Like I said, like I still add to my routine in terms of like what I'm going to do, like just drink more water. But, you don't, you know, just just try to figure it out. But staying hydrated to me is the most important thing. And then. uh Maybe not overtaxing your system early in the night if you don't have to, like being strategic with it while still providing energy for the moments that need it. And then, uh, yeah, man, you just you, you want those big moments to sound good. And the next day, Sunday, it's like, oh, yeah. you know, it's like Sunday, your voice is going to be raspy. It's kind of t- it's like uh, it's pretty raspy on a Sunday. That's for sure. So uh, before we go any further, though, you are, of course, a, a Boston guy. I, I'm here in North Carolina. So, you know, I have to point it out that, you know, the Boston Celtics took an important man from the, the Charlotte Hornets, probably the most important player we've ever had because, you know, we're, we have a, a storied history or whatever. And uh, and it feels like you guys already want to trade him. So I feel like, you know, you're a Boston guy. got to pick on you, right? got a bone to pick a little bit. You know, you took you took our franchise guy. Kemba, right? That's right. Kemba Walker, of course. Yeah, I'm not a big NBA guy, though, to be honest. I've never, like, I loved playing basketball with my friends, but I was always a hockey player growing up. And then, um, you know, like, I'm not like, I don't hate the Celtics, but I don't love them either. Like, I don't really pay much attention to them. I just know, you know, Boston is a tough place, man. It's like, once, and now that I live in Las Vegas and I've gotten outside of Boston, when you can look at it from the outside in, it's a much different place. When you're in it, you're just like, yeah, man, these guys got to win. What the hell, man? This, yeah. you know, and you trade, you'll, you'll be happy to have a, a new athlete come in. And then like, when they don't do they're, they're quick to get rid of them and say, ah, the hell with that guy. And, uh, when I, when I moved outside of Boston, kind of saw that from the outside in, I'm just like, wait a second. That's not cool, man. Like why, why do we celebrate, you know, being so tough on our, our players like that, you know, to the point where like, especially after winning all these championships. So I don't know, man, what's the story with Kemba? I didn't know they wanted to trade him. I know that they got rid of Gordon Hayward, right? He just signed someone else. They signed with, with Charlotte on a huge huge deal. That's going to mess up our cap space. So, you know, Boston keeps jabbing North Carolina like that. And it's like, yeah. And I'm not even from North Carolina, but it's like living right. here, you have to have a certain amount of, you know, because if you tell people, like, for example, you're a Lakers fan, it's like, okay, so have you been to LA? No. It's like, what's your ties with California? Nothing. So, you know, you got to, you got to pick the yeah, team. Yeah, it's a different world, time. man. Yeah. Well, at least for you, you have, a, I mean, Las Vegas doesn't have that many franchises. I think you just got hockey, I think uh, football as well, but like you get, you get to choose between everything. Like whoever's winning, you get, you have an excuse to go for them. Well, I mean, nobody wants that kind of fan. I mean. <laughs> I was talking to my nieces and nephews the other day on FaceTime and I was like, who's your favorite football team? And they're like, they all said the chiefs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. They all said that, you know, they're like, you know, they're like five, six and eight or whatever, but it's just like, Oh, okay. I remember in the early nineties when the Cowboys, you know, won three in a row and everyone loved Aikman, Irvin Emmett. Um, and everybody was a Cowboys fan. That's how they got the nickname America's team. And, uh, 
so the Chiefs are the new Cowboys of the early 90s and everyone loves the Chiefs. But I don't want to be a front runner. I just uh, I root for people that I like more than yeah. teams that I like. But I'm here in Vegas. So it's like the Raiders having an NFL franchise is cool in a brand new stadium. Can't wait till we can go and fill that thing up. And then uh, the Golden Knights are a cool story because they didn't come from anywhere else. They're Ve- they're truly Vegas's team. And they say Vegas born. And, uh, you know, people have a lot of pride in that. Yeah, it's like people are talking about, you know, the the Chiefs. And it's like, are you from Missouri? Have you ever been? Could you point to Missouri <laughs> yeah. on a map? It's like, yeah, what, what are we Mahomes doing? Mahomes on the, you know, the cover of Madden, and he's yeah. like the MVP. And he's, the, you know, they have a fun offense to watch. Everyone <laughs> wants to watch the, the cool offense that puts up a bunch of points and that can score in, in a blink of an eye. So that's where you get that. Well, you know, in basketball, too, everybody was a Golden State fan, you know, and uh, yeah, you had all the kids thing. wearing the, the stuff. And then, you know, they kind of lose everybody. And now you're like, hold on. I thought everybody yeah. was from San Francisco. Everyone's what happened? LeBron now. Everyone's back on LeBron. Yeah, that yeah, that's Steph right. Curry was the guy. Now everyone forgot about Steph Curry. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, it, it's fun too. But you know, you can't take those fans too serious. At least I don't. You know, it's like if you talk to someone about basketball, and it's like you know, LeBron's my favorite guy. And it's like, oh, really? Like you know, you know, is that is that fun? Is it fun to be for you know necessarily the best guy every time? Well, you don't want to switch around, but. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any problem with rooting for greatness. You know, I think there's there's too many people that that try to negate it, like people that, you know, dump on LeBron or Tom Brady or whatever. It's just like, do you understand how good they are at what they do? Like, you know, uh, so I don't like when people just hate the best guy, but also you don't want to be like, oh, I'm a Lakers fan now. Oh, now who's winning? You know, whatever. Exactly. But it's fun to watch the greatness aspect, too, because, you know, like people, they, they go back in time, they talk about all these greats, like, you know, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird and stuff, you know, which was before my time. But then today people look back and they'll be like, man, the LeBron era, the Tom Brady's and stuff. And it's like, you know, we were a part of that. We got to see that live. And yeah. I think people take that for granted, too, especially especially with guys like LeBron who get so much hate, you know, and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And in the age of social media, there's almost like more hate to go around. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was plenty of people that, you know, if you're a Celtics fan, you hated the Lakers. And if you're a Lakers fan, you hated the Celtics. But, uh, you know, just with the with the way the media culture is now, it's it's kind of in a different way. Um, I think as long as you take pro sports for what it is, which is, uh, you know, it's ultimately entertainment for people, you know, for, for plenty of people, it's their livelihood and it's their jobs. And there's a lot of jobs connected to it. And we learned that this year when it's shut down, there's a lot at stake in terms of the dollars and cents for people and their jobs and how they make their living. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about like an athlete and, and the teams and the standings and the wins and losses, I mean, I think you got to all take it with a grain of salt and realize it's it's entertainment for for the fans. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So if you take it too seriously and don't make it fun, then you're missing the whole point. Well, speaking of which, you know, a lot of people, or I think it was in January when we saw Stephen A. Smith was making the comments on Cowboy and stuff, and MMA fans were up in arms. And, you know, I think that's the moment a lot of people realize that MMA fans aren't necessarily sports fans. Like, you know, if you like all sport, like basketball and stuff, and you know Stephen A. Smith, it's not crazy to hear him say something about Cowboy. But then, you know, I mean, have you seen sort of like MMA fans are also sports fans? Because it does feel like there's there's a difference, at, at least in my opinion. I think just as MMA grows, you're going to get more crossover. And um, a lot of people now, like, how old are you, Lucas? <laughs> I'm 23. 23. So you were born in what, 97, 98? 97, yeah. 97. So, like, and this goes back to when, not even like when I was, like when I was a kid, you know, 80s, 90s, there's so much less out there, right? Before the internet existed, like, you just you couldn't just look up your favorite team's highlights and all that sort of stuff from wherever you, you know, you were just kind of. So 
what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is people were into the same stuff because the same yeah. stuff was on everybody's TV. You know what I mean? Like kind of like if you wanted to watch sports on TV, you had to watch ESPN and they had like one channel and then they had and then they had two channels, you know. And if you wanted to watch whatever your interest was, it was on like this channel for this show. And now you can just be so deep into one thing that's more specific, niche sports and niche activities, right? That um, there's more separation in terms of what people are into. So, you know, there's less crossover maybe. Like if you were just a sports fan, then you knew that then a lot of people, you watch Sports Center. And then you kind of like, if you lived in California, if you lived in Massachusetts or Minnesota, you just watch the same sports center. And now it can be very targeted based on what your specific interests are. Like if you're a Patriots fan, you could just choose to watch, you could just know the Patriots inside and out. And if you don't, you know, obviously you're going to have a grasp of the NFL at large, but like you could just know everything about the Patriots and, um, or, or pick the activity or sport or whatever you're into. So with MMA, it's one of those sports where it's a niche sport. And people get obsessed with it. It's yeah. it's just a, it's it's a way of life and it's a passionate thing. But there are bigger sports fans, and so as MMA grows as a sport, you're just gonna pick off some people that like like I don't I don't really follow the NBA, but it's just like I've always been a hockey fan, and I and I love the NFL. So it's just like well, the three sports I pay attention to is like NFL and hockey and MMA, like there's room for, to be a fan of a few sports. Now you're not necessarily going to be a huge fan of the NFL, the NBA, baseball, college football, and, and then at the MMA and, and know a bunch about everything. Like you got to pick and choose what you consume in addition to whatever else you have to take care of with your job and your family and whatever. So, you know, I think just think MMA growing as a sport, it's, you're going to, I noticed that there's a lot of hockey fans that like MMA, right? There's yeah. fights in hockey, but yeah. it's just like a rough sport. The athletes are really down to earth like they are in MMA. Um, they're easy to root for. They're grounded. Um, there's there's real drama. It's a fast-moving, exciting sport, and hockey's kind of up and down, hard hits and that sort of thing. So obviously the UFC is huge in Canada. I think that there's you know no mistaking that. So um, that's the, the trend that I kind of noticed when I was kind of – making my entry into UFC and MMA, but, um, you know, it's just, it's going to get more people's attention because we're on ESPN. We're on a bigger platform and the more eyeballs that are on it, the more people that are going to be like, this is pretty cool. And that, that's exactly what we've seen. Well, the thing about MMA that I think, uh, you know, maybe fans don't realize as well is just how much access everybody has to everything. Like, you know, Jeff Neal and uh, Steven Thompson are fighting this weekend. You could literally type in their name and put interview next to it and find all these interviews uh, that they did. Like, you can get to know these guys outside of simply fighting. And like you mentioned, watching the highlights, like you can know a guy inside and out. And there's just so much access that you wouldn't have like in a basketball, for example. Yeah, it's it's very different. Like, look at you, man. I mean, you're doing this podcast and chatting with me who's calling the fights tonight. Like anybody can cover the sport in a different way. Like if you want to start a blog about you know, if you want to start a blog about the Green Bay Packers, like I can do that from Las Vegas, but am I going to get Aaron Rodgers or like, you know, their coach on my show? Like it's going to take a while and you got to build something before you're going to get that. You know, you can't just, you kind of have to be a credentialed member of the media that goes to practice and that's working for a specific outlet. Meanwhile, like if you just grind and you just decide that you want to start an MMA blog or a YouTube channel or whatever, like, you just send a note on Twitter yeah. or Instagram to some of these fighters and some big names in the sport. Like I said, they're down to earth people, guys and girls and 
well-educated, like to give their time. And it also behooves them to get their name out there, to speak to people, to, to, um, you know, do what they can do. They don't just have to hide behind. I always say hide behind the logo. You know, when you're a pro athlete and you're playing for one of the major professional sports teams, you don't have to be nice to the media. Yeah. You just don't. I mean, it's good to, and most of them are, but you don't have to um, because you play for the Patriots and people are going to be Patriots fans and they're buying Patriots tickets. You don't have to be this nice guy. That's like good to the media and giving of your time in interviews. There's certain things you have to do like after a game or in practice or whatever, whenever the media sessions are. But other than that, you can just be like, well, I play in the NFL. I play for the Patriots. This is what I'm going to do with my time and whatever. So with uh, UFC, it's a lot more accessible. Well, and and you mentioned the thing like it feels like anybody could do it, right? Anybody could start a blog and a YouTube channel, and that scares me sometimes because you know you'll have people that uh, you know they ask you for advice and stuff, and you feel like man, if somebody could just you know somebody could easily replace me, like you know what I mean? If they start getting the, the, some kind of access, like they could just you know I, I feel sometimes like any idiot could just come on in and just do what I do, and it it's scary sometimes because you think like your place could be threatened by someone that you know maybe more ambitious or has it figured out earlier than you do. Well, that's the key, man. You can't let somebody else be more ambitious. Yeah, that's true. I think you just answered your own question. I, I you know, but the, like, there's going to be competition no matter what you do. And, um, like, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Like I have a podcast and I have a YouTube channel, you know, and of course, like if you're watching somebody else's, you can't watch mine. If you're listening to somebody else's podcast, you can't listen to mine, but like, there's a lot of people that will never cross that barrier you know what i mean like you got to knock on 300 doors to to get what you want and a lot of people will knock on three doors and be like ah, oh, it's not working for me you know what i mean you just got to keep going so um and, and you, you can't just you can't worry you can't be tied to a result um in that line of work you can't be like i'm gonna do a podcast and i'm gonna do 20 episodes and if i don't have 200 downloads by then then i'm gonna stop it you have to if you don't like doing it then don't do it but if you're doing that, if you're doing it and you're just like, you know what, I really like this, I'm going to keep doing it. That's what stage I'm at with my podcast. It's like I talk to fighters and I interview fighters. And uh, after I'm done chatting with them for a while, it's like, man, I loved getting to know that person. And uh, it's going to help me out in my job if I ever call one of their fights. And now I have this connection. And it's awesome. If other people want to listen to it, whether it's a thousand or 10,000, then that's great. If they don't, I don't care. I just had a great conversation with somebody. So. I think that's how you got to approach it. I think that's the thing when you make content too. Like in, in your mind, it's like you worked hard for this and you're proud of it. You know, it's like you you were, you busted your ass and you did something that's great. And in your mind, it's like, you know, this should have 10,000 views within like the first 10 minutes. Yeah. 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 And you yeah. never know what to expect. Let me tell yeah. you that too. Like, you know, you'll do something just like, this is a good episode. This is going to do good numbers. Like th this is going to do numbers. This is a good one. It's like, it's like a bigger name, whatever. And then like, it'll start you know it'll hit the it'll hit the airwaves or whatever and you'll kind of drop it and then just be like well that's that's weird i thought more people and then like in time people you know a lot of interviews are evergreen at least uh the ones that i do are they're evergreen so it's just like people can find their way into it and then it'll come around and then others you're just like well uh I, I don't know this is like a you know it's a name that unless you're a hardcore fan maybe you haven't heard of and you know whatever but then that one will go crazy or you're, you know, so, uh, you just never know. You just got to do it to love of it. And, uh, you know, some, you never know what's going to hit and what's not. 
I agree with that. that was the thing with this podcast too. Like I started working full time and it was like, it took the time away from covering MMA and it was like, you know, if I'm going to, I want to continue to make content, but I want to do something I like to do. And you know, with this podcast, I having a lot of fun with it, talking to different people. And even, even the fighters I've had on, it's like you do these, I normally do the 10, 15 minute video interviews. You don't get the same fighters when you sit down for an hour and have a conversation. Like it's, you really get to see who these people are aside from, you know, I really like the matchup and his boxing's good. Yeah. Like, it's interesting getting to see that whole different side of people when you make content like this. Exactly, man. I mean, you know, I'm the same as you. Like, I have a job, which is, of course, in the UFC. But at the same time, if I want to do those interviews, it's separate from like yeah. what I need to do tonight to to call the fight. So, you know, my my theory on that is to just keep it simple, right? Just like, you know, no matter how busy I get, do I have an hour to try to line up, you know, to talk to somebody else? It's like, of course I do. You know what I mean? And then like, if you keep it simple and you just here we talked for an hour you can watch it if you want yeah. you can you can listen to it if you want like that's how simple it's got to be sometimes and then of course there's a there's a bunch that you can do if your time loosens up if you make it to a level where you can hire a support staff or something okay we can clip this off we can put some graphics on this we can add to it or like you know depending on what your schedule is if you're busy that week um so yeah i mean that's how it goes, man. It's it's kind of a fun journey, and uh, it's certainly a different media landscape than uh, when I was coming up. But I, I think it's cool that a lot of people can get involved in it. So, I mean, you took a different approach with your your podcast and even your YouTube channel. Because I know at first your thing was you did this stuff in person, right? You had Forrest Griffin, Sam yeah. Salad, all those guys. And now today we're seeing you, you know, you're kind of doing what we're all doing, which is, you know, doing things remotely. I guess uh, you're using Zoom and stuff like that. Like, uh, how's that been for you? Yeah, it's good, man. I mean, like you said, so there is nothing like an in-person interview. Like when you can sit down and look at, the, you just notice more. It's kind of like, um, like when we call the contender series, we sit in a studio. So uh, like as an example, because we don't want to be, and we've done that for all seasons. We've, we'll, we'll do our intro out by the octagon and then we kind of sit in the back because it's too quiet to like just call the fights from right there. And of course now we, you know, for the UFC fights, we call them right there without a crowd, but it's still not like they're hearing us as well. Um, and you just notice so much more when you're in the room, you know, when you're in the room, when you can see the fighters moving in front of you, it's just so much different than watching it on a TV. And same goes for interview. When you can just sit down with a person and look them in the eyes and be in their presence, you, you get a better connection and you can kind of speak in a different manner. But um, so I didn't want to do remote interviews from the beginning because I was just like, no, I'll just do less of them. Then the pandemic hits and I'm like, well, I'm not doing in-person <laughs> interviews for quite a while. So let me just shut this podcast down. And then um, everybody started doing remote stuff. Jimmy Fallon's doing remote yeah. interviews. Howard Stern's doing remote interviews. People on the news everywhere are working from home and anchoring their show. So I'm like, okay, now this is like going to become a way of life for a while. Um, so it's like normal for people to watch content in this format. And I noticed that there was a few interviews that I listened to. Uh, I don't listen to Howard Stern regularly, but I, I really, um, like I'm a fan of him. Like I understand how good he is at what he does. And like, he's just, he's interesting. I just don't want to pay for serious radio right. and I don't have that time to listen to the show all yeah. the time. But they gave a free trial during the pandemic, like early in the pandemic, they gave like, they gave out Sirius XM for free for like, you know, until like the end of May. So in that time, he had an interview with Tom Brady Tom Brady was in Tampa doing the interview just like this with his 
with his earbuds on. And it was like a two hour interview. He had him on for like the whole show. Um, and even their video, like Brady's web connection wasn't good. So then they just had to switch to a phone call. And I still listened to every bit of that two hours. And I was compelled by it. Like I wanted to listen to it and there were good questions and it was good answers. And I was like, well, that's a pretty good interview. And that's the worst case scenario. It was a choppy connection. And then it was on the phone. And I still wanted to listen to it because of how good it was. Obviously, you know, not every person you interview is going to be Tom Brady, but that was one. And then another one, Jerry Seinfeld was on with Howard Stern. Did the same thing. He was sitting remotely with, with, uh, you know, a connection like this. And I was just like, I listened to two interviews that I like that I made appointments to listen to it. Like I saw on Twitter and I was just like, I got to listen to that. And I made time to listen to it. And they were both remote interviews and they were both really good. And I was just like, well, then I have no excuse. You know, like, why, why shouldn't I be doing this? I have access to so many fighters, you know, that I know personally or that I've called their fight or they know who I am because of the job that I have. And I'm just like, goes back to your point about being ambitious. You know, it's like, what, why am I going to sit back and be like, nah, if I can't be in person, I'm not going to do my show. And like, maybe down the road, I'll fire my show back up and whatever. It's just like, no, man, that's weak sauce. That's like, that's like loser's mindset right there of just like, ah, maybe that's not grinding for it. I had to decide if I wanted to do it um, because you do have to want to do it. And I was just, it, Every time I put it on hold and was just like, yeah, maybe this isn't for me right now, or just uh, this is a project that can be put on hold. I was like, like within a week, I would start thinking, I'm just like, why am I not doing it? It's like, I have no good excuse for it. I do want to do it. Like, if you ask me, you know, what project would I like in addition to what I'm doing, I would tell you a successful podcast, right? And uh, like, I would start like being woken up at night by these thoughts oh, i could do this i could do this i could have this person on and whatever and so uh you know got back into it and it's been good I, I figured out a system i figured out that people do like it and i just try to have guests on that um i already have somewhat of connection with you know like instead of meeting them for the first time over a, a zoom chat somebody that, a fighter that i've called or you know somebody that i've known and stuff like that where th then we can kind of pick up from uh you know, from where we knew and saw each other in person, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it is tough. <laughs> Just like what we're, we're doing meeting for the first time, you know, there's some guys like it, it works and others where it doesn't. And you see it with a, a lot of these interviews with the fighters, some fighters, they'll only talk if you put a question mark at the end of your, uh, your sentence. Otherwise, they'll they'll just they'll just wait for you to finish up whatever you're doing. And some guys are really great. Like uh, last yesterday, I had Dwight Grant. Oh, he was awesome. I mean, we were talking back yeah. and forth, having a conversation, talking about, you know, who knows? Who knows what? Like we were talking about so much stuff. At the end, you have to do like a recap on Twitter. So why would you watch? Because we talked about this. I don't even know what we talked about. It was just an hour, <laughs> yeah. and we were just talking about what whatever popped up. So some guys are really great for it, and, that, and that's why for me, I made a list. I was like, who do I think would do well in that kind of thing? Right. And then because you know, if you you could have a big name, but if that big name doesn't know how to talk or isn't willing to do the back and forth, you know, you're gonna struggle getting to that hour, and all it's gonna do is it's gonna look like crap because you know you, you both have to be willing to sort of play that game. Why do you um, always say an hour? Like, why are you married to an hour? I don't know. It just seems like the the kind of the length that I've found that it seems like, you know, most people seem to like the hour. I know when I listen to a podcast, I like for it to be an hour. I don't know. It's just something that um, I don't know. It just. Yeah. So like what I would say to you is like, because um, I, I, you know, I always tell people too if I'm going to do a show with them, like it's probably going to be an hour just yeah. to give them a heads up because 
there's nothing worse than you agree to an interview and you think it's going to be 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. And then you're sitting there and then like you're mid interview and you're like, you don't want to be rude, but you're like, right. how long yeah. is this? Hey man, how long are we going to go? You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like in an hour is a chunk of time, right? Like you're not asking for a quick 10 minutes or something yeah. like that, which 10 minutes is pretty easy to find time for, but an hour you got to set it, set aside. Um, but I would say to you, like, cause I've done podcasts and like I said, an hour is the general rule of thumb, especially if you're going to have a real connection, get the life story or get, go into whatever you're going to talk about. But like, if you're talking with somebody and they're a little short on answers or whatever, and yeah. you're at like 42 minutes, like call yeah, it, it man. Yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like I'd rather listen to a tight 42 than have you try to like yeah. pile on to somebody that's not expanding on their answers and that just to get to 60 minutes, like you don't have to fill it for fulfill any commercial obligations. <laughs> like you don't have to like, you know, when you're, you're, when you're hosting a show on ESPN and it's an hour long, like you got to have content for an hour, right? That's because true. you got four commercial breaks or whatever it is. And like, you got to be like, okay, we're going this, we're going this. Like you got to fill that hour before sports centers next or whatever yeah. it is. But, um, you know, man, on, on, on streaming something on YouTube or a podcast, like I don't hate sometimes here's the other thing sometimes people have a 38 minute drive to get where they're going. And they're like, well, I don't want to listen to this podcast. It's an hour 10, but yeah. uh, you know, I, I got a 30 minute drive ahead of me. I'll get most of this 38 minutes. And if it's good, I'll, I'll bite off the rest on the way back, you know? So sometimes I don't listen to Rogan. Cause I'm like, this podcast is <laughs> two hours and 42 minutes. I'm not even going to start it. Why yeah. even start it? You know? And obviously his is like kind of a talk show. That's a longer form thing. And I, sometimes I really like it. Uh, and sometimes I'm like, I need to listen to this guest and I want to listen to all of it. And other times I'm like, yeah, this is an interesting dude, but he's not, he's not, it's not for me if it's two and a half hours, you know? Yeah. So some of his shows are pretty like three hours and 30 minutes. And it's like, you know, how are you not exhausted? Like, you know, there's no way, like how, how can I, mean, I, mean, I think it's good. It's, it, you know, when you think about it, like radio shows, oftentimes, obviously there's commercial breaks. I'm talking like. I don't know. Can you call it old school radio? I mean, people like you, it's like the radio still exists, right? I almost never listen to it, but like, you know, Colin Cowherd's on Fox sports radio. His show's three hours. Like in Boston, our sports talk shows were in four hour blocks. They were six to 10, you know, and, and then 10 to two and then two to six. And, and that's how it went. Um, but the, that's commercial breaks and whatever, yeah. like he's, you know, if you're going three hours with somebody just sitting in a room, but it, you know, if you have a good, if you're truly curious about somebody and uh, what they do, um, you know, I could sit here and talk for three hours. You know what I mean? Like I can't today, but I physically like ha if I have the time to have a good conversation with somebody, you know, we all talk all day. That's true. You know what yep. I mean? It's just, it's just in ma a manner of uh, which way you're doing it. Well, I know for the, the 10, 15 minute uh, fighter interviews, you know, you have sort of an idea of what the algorithms like and stuff like that. And there was one time there was one fighter. It's like, we got seven minutes and it was such a drag. Like, you know, you'd ask him a question and the answer would be like, yeah. And then you're like, oh man, how, you know, like, how am I going to do that? And then, you know, we got seven minute mark. I was like, you know what? I'm going to call it. Cause what's the point? Like, it's not going to turn out any good. No. I mean, the thing is in, in those types of situations, you have to go back to like in your toolbox, Lucas, you should have, I'll give you some advice here when you're, cause I've dealt with a lot of that subject whether it's a patriot whether it's a high school football player whatever sometimes it's nerves sometimes they don't want to talk whatever um you got to have some some go-to questions that 
that leaves them no other choice but to like talk you know like don't ask a yes or no question because like you said if they just say yeah well it's just like well you ask them a question where they could say yes and get away with it you know like how's the weight cut going is the weight cut okay yes right and if they don't want to keep talking they're not gonna keep talking or if they're just like a shy person or whatever you know i would uh, you know just you can always go to how would you describe whatever you're talking about right how would you describe the weight cut then you, they, they can't say yes or no they gotta give you something on that right they gotta give you something and then maybe you can listen to that and then follow up on it right so it's like how would you describe that's a, that's a really good uh, off the shelf question and then like how do you feel about whatever you know like these these simple questions where sometimes interviewers i make this mistake but interviewers will um try to give options you know yes or no questions or um man was that an easy thing for you to do or was that a bit of a challenge yeah, yeah. so it's like well then they you're you're giving them the first part of the answer like they're, they're gonna have no choice but you're just giving them a way out to make an easy yeah. canned answer and that's not what you want as an interviewer so just have those things and just don't be afraid to not talk don't be afraid to like just be like how would you describe the weight cut and then if he doesn't talk right away, don't jump in because, because a lot yeah. of people do this. They'll go, how would you describe the weight cut? Because, and he's thinking for an answer because you're forcing him to think, right? You're yeah. forcing that person to do something. And while they're thinking of their answer, you might jump in because you're afraid of the silence. It feels awkward and just be like, you know, because some people it's like a real challenge if they're going down in weight in a new weight class, there's some nerves to go along with it. Now you're just rambling. Now you're lost. Yeah, yeah. And now he's not thinking, he's just trying to react to what you're doing. You know what I mean? Well, I think there's the thing too with with the questions. You know, I talk and you had an interview with James Lynch, I believe it was last week or something like that. And we talk about this often, but it's sort of keeping your questions short. Like there's some guys where they'll give you a whole paragraph as a question, and I'm like, Yeah. I forgot the question. I'm sure the fighter forgot the question. Like, you know, how are you going to do that? Like, it, it really I feel like there needs to be a focus on the subject and, and not you sort of showing off how much you can fit into your question. Huge. That's great. To, that's great that you know that. A lot of people go their <laughs> whole career and never know that. I mean, yeah. lots of people, people that reach high profile positions in, in broadcasting. They, they, you know, I, and like I told James last week, because, you know, um, there was a guy, John Sawatsky. Was that the interview I mentioned it in? I did a bunch of interviews, like on one day last week. James was on a different one. But there was a guy at ESPN that was like a talent consultant. Like he worked with the on-air people and producers and stuff. And anybody who did interviewing and was in like storytelling kind of content. And man, this is, this guy wasn't the most important influence in my career. But um he says, when you're doing an interview, there's one star in the interview and it is not you. Yeah. <laughs> that's the simple formula. If you're now it's different what we're doing. And sometimes on my show, I'll go into conversation mode because there's conversation, right? That's two. That's that's two people's thoughts. And then there's interview, right? And this one with you, this is a conversation, right? Because we're talking sports in the beginning and we're going back and forth and that's fine. But when it comes down and you can switch modes right in the same show, yeah. um, you can go from conversation to whatever and then be like, all right, let's get down to it. It's interview time. And then and then like you got to you tee up questions that will force an answer, use as little words as possible and be prepared to shut up and and just and like get the good stuff, you know, and try to get them to go go deep. And if they say something interesting, follow up and, uh, you know, 
that's the way to do it. So you're allowing me to ramble on, which is <laughs> phenomenal on your part, right? Now that we're in interview mode. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's good to know those lessons because a lot of people never never learn them. When when you started with uh, doing the video stuff, like I think a lot of people, they see like the the interviews people put up on video and they think it just happened. Like they don't realize how much stuff is in the background. How were you able to figure out how to do, you know, sort of put these things side by side? Like, did you use Zoom like a lot of people or did you sort of figure out a, a different way of doing things? Oh, on my show? Like on, yeah, the on your YouTube podcast. Channel? Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, I kept it as simple as possible. Like, like, how do you do it? Like StreamYard, I've done a few guest appearances on this and this is like a good look. So I got to look up StreamYard, but um, yeah, I just do Zoom because of how easy it is. Yeah, Like Zoom is, and, and I don't do the side by side. I do like whoever's talking yeah. that goes to full yeah. screen. So it's like back and forth. Um, because when you're doing an in-person show, like if I'm doing a sit down interview for the UFC that they set up with like a three camera shoot, like think about how that looks. It's not split screen. It's it's whoever yeah. the person yeah. is talking about. So that's just my preference for, for the show that I'm doing. But so you just put it on that setting. And then you hit record on Zoom. And then once the once the thing's over and you hit end, it saves to a file and that's it. And then I just put it in there and just drop it. So I just try to make my background somewhat like in my office with like the logo and stuff. And I, I know it could be a lot better, but I just try to keep it simple, easy to set up so that it's not a big to-do list and stuff like that. And um, you know, make sure the audio is good. That's the most yeah. important thing. But uh you know, yeah. I mean, I just click. I do it as simply as possible. I know that there's better ways to do it. James Lynch was like, he's like Skype. The picture's clearer, and like these pictures are pretty clear right now. But uh, you know, I'm just taking my time with it. Maybe over the holidays, when I have a few weeks with no UFC events to get ready for, then uh, I can clean it up, maybe improve the show a little bit. Well, the thing is, you know, just how much video editing, I thought it was sort of like, you know, when I first started, I was like, you know, you could just, I don't know, I guess it just happens. And then, you know, I talked to someone like James Lynch, where it's like, listen. You have to record the the Skype window, record yourself using your webcam, put them together, add your audio from Audacity. Yeah. It was like, it's such a grind. And, so and that's it, where I'm not doing it. Yeah. You know, like that's where I'm just like, I can't do all that right now. But yeah. James can do it because his job, yeah, that's his, full know, time. his number one thing is like, he's doing those interviews. He's making them look as good as possible, sound as good as possible, all that stuff. And I started doing that at the beginning. I was like, okay, camera on me. I'll edit this in or whatever. And then you're just like, this is taking forever. Yeah. I was like, that is another reason that held me back from uh, doing the remote thing. Cause I'm just like, geez, if I'm just in person, I could just hit go on my recorder audio. It was audio only at first too. I didn't have cameras and um, I just wanted to keep it as simple as possible. And then you start being like, well, what if I had video? And then I'm starting to bring like a, a camera yeah. and then I'm just like, oh my goodness, to make this look and sound good. I'm just giving myself five people's jobs in addition to like the interview itself so i was like i don't want to do that i want to keep it as simple as possible and luckily our uh, technology in the 21st century has allowed us to do that pretty easily especially on things where you can just click a click a record button well, there's a lot of people you know they think like you know everybody needs to do something in studio like you know i had mike rodriguez who was like you know if i could i'd build a basement you know and then saying you know for me like build a table or something it's like man not only do you have to get, you know, the mics right and you have to have the right mixer and everything, you have to get lights, you have to get cameras. And like mm -hmm. Joe Rogan, I think he's got three different angles from the cameras. It's like, man, you know, and I have to do all that by myself while at the same time hosting the show. Like it's, it's, it would look great, but it's too, it's too much. You can't make that happen. Yeah. Like you need a simple, when you're starting out, you need a simple system. And, and I started wrapping my head around that. Like, of course the dream is to have a studio right, and yeah. to have a place where you can 
flip the, and have a staff, right? I mean, right. If you're, yeah. If, the, if you're pulling in income off of it, cool. Then you can hire somebody to do the editing and the content and, and the social media push and whatever. And my job is to be prepared for that interview because that's the most important part of the show is the actual content of what you're talking about. And so if you start biting off all these other jobs, you're just making, you're stretching yourself too thin and the show suffers. So for me, it's the easiest right now to just be able to like, yeah, okay, I could have better video quality. I could have a little more editing. I could do a little more marketing in terms of the show or whatever. But there's a lot people, there's a lot of people that do a lot more with a lot less. You know, they do a lot more numbers and and uh have higher subscriber counts and whatever, and they don't have the yeah. profile job that I have in terms of my role. Like I'm sitting next to Bisping in DC on ESPN later today. I mean, a lot of people don't have that. So um, I just need to be patient with that. And of course the dream is to have a studio and a staff yeah. and be like, cool, my show is successful. This right. is, this is awesome. And I can get a lot of these interviews and most of them can be in person and uh, great stuff, but you know, that can come in 2030 for all I care. You know what I mean? Like or 2025 or whatever ends up happening. But, um, as long as I like doing it, which I do, then I'm gonna keep doing it. And I think that that's really the most important thing when it's not like you're sole source of income your job or whatever it's just like this is a fun thing i like to do it could turn into something more it could turn into a bigger dream job than i ever thought possible but for right now this is what it is and you have to be okay with that i think for a lot of people the dream is you know the, the joe rogan thing you build your own studio you have the the statue yeah. yeah you come in in the morning you say hello to your staff as they're preparing the lights and everything you just sit down, you know, maybe prepare a whiskey or whatever weird thing you're going to do on the show. Like, I think everybody kind of figures that's, that's the goal. That's the end game. Yeah. It's cool that that's the end game. What you have to realize is that you can't do that from like year one. Yeah. You know, you can't just be like, I'm going to have a podcast and this is how it's going to be. It's just yeah. like, no, it's not. Like if you want, I mean, I'm not at the point of having ads on my show and I feel like it's going to be, I mean, you know, you don't want to like limit yourself. You don't want to be like, well, it's going to be at least two years because it's like, who knows? But yeah. um, you can't start. I, I see like sometimes these articles are just like why you should start a podcast. Well, you can make some money from it. You can monetize from it. It's just like, dude, you got to like grind for like three years, I feel like, to get ads in your podcast. You know what I mean? Like I was super naive when I had Forrest Griffin on. Well, the first interview I did was Yancey Medeiros, but the first episode that I actually put out was Forrest Griffin. I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to release this. It's going to yeah. be the new MMA podcast. People are going to love it, whatever. And then like the download numbers are what they are. And you're just like, oh, you mean not everybody just dropped everything and found time for my show, found like 58 minutes to listen to Forrest Griffin's life story. Like, and and it's a good episode and it's a good story. And, and I think the interview is good. But at the same time, I was just like, oh, okay, this is going to be a longer road than I thought. And uh, again, you can't make it about making money. You have to be like, I love doing it. And you have to be willing to put some dollars in, right? There's like a podcast hosting fee or whatever. And if you want a good microphone, you know, that all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, it, you got to be in it for the long haul if you want that everybody wants the everybody wants the studio where you show up in a staff and you put your podcast out that's awesome and you can make all of your money off of hanging out with other people and chatting with them but that's not how it works i think everyone figures when you make a podcast like that like the masses are waiting for you to release it like you yeah know, you have this oh, get man, wait till people hear this these are yeah. interviews with fighters nobody's ever heard that before like you do have to like on one hand you're just like everyone does this. Why would I do it? 
And then you have to wear the other hat and just be like, well, I'm going to do it in my way. Yeah. And uh, like everybody does everything, you know, like, like why do anything then? Why start a, why start a minor league baseball team? There's already a hundred of them. Like why, why would you try to be a sports announcer? There's already a ton of sports announcers. It's just like, well, no, because you can do it. You just, you just got to commit to it and, and, and believe that your content's going to resonate with, you don't need to have everybody in the world like your stuff. You just need to carve out your following and make the most of it. Well, that's the thing too. Like everybody says, well, if everybody's doing it, it's like, yeah, but you got to add your own spin. Like, you know, my thing, for example, is, you know, you're, you're going to have a hard time finding people younger than me doing the same things that I do. And that's kind of the strength is, you know, maybe for the younger generation or people that want, you know, potentially a younger host. And then, you know, you, you have to find the different things that people would look for that makes you know, what you're doing different. And I mean, even you, like, you know, you have your things that make it unique and you have a certain skill that lots of people that do it don't have necessarily because they don't have the job you do. So it, it, you know, unique things that maybe we don't notice, but the people watching might notice. Yeah. Like my show is a little unique in terms of how I interview. And then like, I have to be confident that my skills as an interviewer are going to ultimately carry, um, and, and mean something, you know, like the thing that I love the most is that I get comments from people and they're just like, Hey man, that was a good episode. Like you asked different questions and like, Oh, you, you did like a deeper dive and you know, it wasn't about their fight camp or whatever. Like it was about a different thing. And then like, um, I've even had some of the fighters like Anthony Smith that I had on my recent podcast, he texted me later in the day and he's just like, Hey man, that was a really good conversation like you got to keep doing this because like that was different from any other interview i did and like we had a good chat and like you know that thank you for that that was awesome and so like obviously it's great when you hear that from yeah. the person that you interviewed like wow that, i'm glad you enjoyed it because i did too but then fans too like ultimately the listeners who are going to sit there and listen to it like i love those comments like great questions that's different and, like um you know, the the art of the interview is just very different. And um, I went through the first 10 years of my career, basically, without knowing it. Like I said, that guy at ESPN, John Swatsky, who just, he kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. And there were other people, he did that course for a lot of people. But unless it really resonates with you and becomes something that you really want to be good at, then, then it's not going to happen for you, which is why, like, you know, I gave away some secrets, right? I gave away some of my secrets to you where it's like, have those off the shelf questions. How would you describe this? Like make them expand on their answers. And then when they say something interesting, follow up on it. Like that's interviewing 101, but a lot of people will never develop those skills because they don't care to work on them. You know, you can tell people a hundred times, you can be like, hey, your questions are too long. Uh, hey, don't ask yes or no questions. Yeah. By the way, these are mistakes I always all still make. Like I make every single mistake on my podcast, on UFC broadcasts. Like I make these mistakes still. It's very unnatural, but I just do it less than most people. I, I generally keep my questions shorter than most people. I will sit there after asking a question that forces them to think, and I'll sit there in silence and look at them and make them talk, you know? Like my one of my favorite interviews is the one I did with Brian Ortega. It's up on YouTube. It's on the UFC's channel. It's on my channel too. Like I put it on a playlist below, but I did in like, he is just the perfect subject because he's a very deep thinker. And, um, and he also is not afraid to be candid. Like he's not afraid to admit like when he's afraid, you know what I mean? And that sort of thing. Like he's not this macho fighter. Like he'll sit there and he'll give you real answers and he'll think about them, but he'll only do that. If you say, what was it like 
to get ready for Max Holloway. And then you got to leave it there. You got to leave it like that. Yeah. You know, and you got to let him think about it. And it makes for good TV, man. People like that stuff. That, that silence is compelling when you're looking at him figuring out how he's going to answer something that's pretty deep. So that's that's kind of my style. And I still have fun on the show. Like I yeah. still joke around when when it's there. But um, I think people appreciate like some real answers um, and forcing people to think and explain stuff because I like it. Like I like this interview we're doing right here. Cause you're letting me go and like we're going deep on my podcast yeah. Yeah. instead of me answering for the 42nd time about going under the table in mexico city now i'll answer that question right and i'm the one who brought it up here but everybody else is just like mexico city what happened <laughs> i'm just like well i've explained it a thousand times yeah so you know this is a good one <laughs> the Mexico City stuff makes me because I'm looking up your YouTube channel and your content because you do have good content. And one of the results is Brendan Fitzgerald, you know, table under table stuff. Yeah, right? That's the most viral moment of my career yeah. right now, you know, obviously. <laughs> and it's just, you know, I, I haven't, I've called a couple of championship fights, but obviously they weren't pay-per-views. They were on ESPN plus. So I haven't called like the biggest of the big fights. Um, I've had some great moments in terms of what I've been able to call, but you know, that's on TMZ, I think, you know what I mean? Like that, just <laughs> check out the UFC broadcaster that hit under the table. Like that, that's one of those things that will just cross over to all blogs. It becomes a clickbait thing. So that's fine. I mean, it's funny, but at the same time, like most interviews, it's just like this question, this question, this question, this question. It's better to go um, into something deeper on a, on a single topic instead of just hit the broad strokes of like 20 different things. Well, I was talking to uh, Mark Montoya and, and you know, being a part of the media, I want to hear some of the behind the scenes, like how do fighters see the media and stuff like that. And he was saying the biggest thing with all these interviews is they get asked the same damn questions every yes. time. Like guys will do three interviews in a row and all of it. What do you think about your opponent? How's the weight cut? And it's like, yeah, it's the same. It's the same shit every time. That's same. Podcast, like we can dive on different subjects. It doesn't have to be an hour of why Brendan Fitzgerald was under that table. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, no, it is. And I've only started realizing that for some reason over the last three weeks yeah. i've been hit with a bunch of interview requests and some from like me you know like i've yeah i've heard of you like i've seen you on twitter and like james lynch and stuff like that and then others like i'll try to find time for kids that are in college and like if you tell people what's what's the biggest piece of advice well start start a blog man if you want to be a sports writer start it start a podcast and a youtube channel if you want to be a broadcaster you can do it with your phone you can do it with a webcam so if that's the piece of advice and then they come to me and they're like, hey, man, can we get you on our show? I always try to say yes. You know what I mean? Like it might you might have to wait six weeks depending on my work schedule and what I'm doing with my family. But I always try to say yes. So um, I've really just been hit with the realization that the fighters do get asked the same thing all the time because I've done like five interviews in the last like two or three weeks and more than five. I've probably done like eight, you know, yeah. and like most of them have been you know and it's again they're students they're learning right they're in college some of them are in high school and stuff like that so they're not going to be these developed pros they're just trying to make the dream happen and and get started so i don't like begrudge them for it but i'm just like oh man this is what it must be like for the fighters too just you know this this question this question. let's hit this question like anthony smith i had him on the show i didn't even ask him about the home invasion if you oh, want to yeah. know about the home invasion of anthony smith you already heard it he did like a half hour show with Ariel Hawani yeah. just on the home invasion. Exactly. Yeah. So like, and if, and if you didn't know about it and we, and we kind of, he mentioned it briefly or whatever, and we moved on, like, that's fine. I've already heard it. I'm not interested in that. 
for my show. You can hear that somewhere else. You know, you have to be willing to leave stuff on the cutting room floor. And that was a challenge for me that I learned too, is just like, I can't go fight by fight with everybody. Yeah. You know, I can't go fight by, because you go 45, 50 minutes before you even get to the UFC debut in terms of hearing an interesting thing about their lives and how they grew up and family tragedy or whatever it happens to be their circumstance. And then you get to the UFC debut and they got 12 fights. Just like, all right, well, we're almost like, I don't want to keep them for that. Then you're at the Rogan three and a half hour mark. (laughs) So yeah, but it started hitting me like these fighters are getting most of the same questions, especially on like a fight week, you know, especially on a fight week. Or I had a, you know, Mike Rodriguez and, you know, I I don't write down my questions. Well, you know, I just think like there are topics I want to hit, but I wanted to flow as much as I can. And I'm thinking, all right, with him, he has a fight coming up in February. Let, let's make sure we hit on the fight. We did not hit on the fight. It was just... No, you don't have to know. Yeah. yeah, it didn't even happen. It just, what is it, he going to say about up. the fight? What's he you know, say he, about likes, the fight? he likes the matchup. Going uh, in there, man. Like the matchup. <laughs> I'm ready, man. I, I believe I'm better everywhere. Yeah. And sometimes they want to give away the game plan. Like, yeah, man, I think my boxing is going to be too good for him. Or I think my jujitsu... And some people are just like, I don't want to get into the game plan, man. I don't want to yeah. tell them what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, there, there's, there's so many canned responses that can go with that, that you're not getting anything of substance that that yeah. gives people a reason to tune into your show. You know, if, like we're talking about how there's a hundred other people that do interviews for with fighters. Well, if, if 93 of them are the same, then like be one of the seven, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I don't think I've ever had an interesting quote about the actual fight. There's not that many questions you can ask about it because, you know, you know, as much as, you know, everybody else, like, he's just, okay, you're fighting this guy and you're preparing for him and the fighters. Yeah, it's the same thing. I like the matchup. You know, I think this favors me. I hope with a win I can, you know, do you have anyone you want to call out? Oh, I don't know yet. We'll see. And then yeah, yeah. now it's not interesting. Not to mention it could change opponents like three times. Yeah, that's I mean, it. We're yeah. talking like two months down the road. You know what I mean? So unless there's like a specific storyline, like sometimes it's sometimes it is there there is something with talking about a fight, you know. But for you know, you know, for for like a long form interview and, and getting the thoughts on who they are, if you're talking about who they are, then you don't need to talk about the fight. Yeah. If you're talking about specifically like what's next for them and covering fight week, then then it is about that. You know, and so th- there is a place for that, but you know, it's it's not a it's not a requirement by any means, especially when you're like early fight camp or something like that. You know what I mean? It's just you know what you're going to get for a response. Yeah, I mean, and it seems like people like the pre-fight coverage, like the pre-fight interviews. But at the same time, I don't understand what are you really getting from them. Like, you know, Mike Rodriguez was telling me I get the same questions, and I talked to James Lynch once, and he asked me what my favorite TV show was. He's like, hold on, I wasn't even. You know, I wasn't even ready to talk about that. And he's like, and now it yeah. gets interesting. Now I remember who he is. So it's it's interesting, you know, when you hear stuff like that. And then you can use that later because you're like, you know, maybe try to be a little bit more interesting next time you interview someone. Yeah, and if you are covering the fight stuff, like maybe just have a question or two that does give them a chance to like flex their personality a little bit, you know, because like James is good at that. Like James, yeah. I appreciate what James does because a lot of what we're talking about in terms of the downsides of some of like the canned responses and stuff, it's like. Well, yeah, there's a lot of media that that cover the sport that do a great job. Like you can't reinvent the wheel every time too, you know, and every fighter's going to have their own spin on it. But I do like how James, because James doesn't want to go too long. You know, it's like a lot of his, a lot of his interviews are 10 minutes. And and by the way, like my average watch time on a lot of my hour long interviews on YouTube is about 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people want to be in that eight to 12 minute range. So to get in as much as you can pre-fight, talk about the matchup. And then like a sprinkle of personality, like it's good, you know, it's good in that mini form. 
How, how did you, for your uh, podcast style, how did you decide that you wanted to go more the interview route? Like we mentioned, it's what it's either conversation or, or interview, or obviously yeah. you can mix a little bit of both, but it seems you really went with the interview route. Why, why was that kind of the style you went with? Because when I learned about interviewing from John, um, I wanted to do more of it immediately. Like I was, I, I, I had never realized how much I love watching a good interview until I learned about what makes for good interviews. Because he then like had examples. He wasn't just telling us to ask these types of questions. He was like, ask these types of questions. Here's an example why. And then he'd show us like Barbara Walters, like talking to Vladimir Putin. You yes. know what I mean? Just be like, and and Larry King, you know, like long time interview show on CNN, like, and the mistakes that they made, right? Those are like the biggest names but they would make the mistakes. They would ask yes or no questions. Like Barbara Walters once asked Putin if he had ever, ever killed anybody. She just goes, have you ever killed anybody? Right? And he was just like, that sounds like a tough question, right? What do you think he's gonna say? Yeah, just- No, <laughs> no. that's it. All he said was no. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was like, he was like, the real tough questions don't sound tough. The tough yeah. questions, the truly tough questions, demand thought and in in a response from the person you're talking about and it might be a tough question to answer but it doesn't necessarily sound tough she wanted to sound tough by sitting there and saying have you ever killed anybody like you just sound like a badass you're asking the russian president if he killed anybody and then he just says no he just goes yet and then like that was it and it's just like okay it's like some sort of clip but like that's not a good question and yeah. people need to understand. And then they showed another, Diane Sawyer was talking to somebody else. It was like some drug kingpin. And instead of asking if you had ever killed anybody, she asked a question. She said, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Then he's yeah. squirming yeah. in the chair. Like he's right. just silent. He's like squirming in the chair and just trying to figure out a way out. That's a good question. And she just said, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Like, you know, so um, once I st- once those examples brought it to life in terms of what good questions are and what you don't want to do, I was like, oh my goodness! Like it was a, it was like coming out of the you know coming out of the matrix in broadcasting. It really was. Like I was like, oh, I thought it was about me the whole time. I yeah. thought I was the guy in the suit and tie on TV, so people wanted to see me. And it's not. Yeah. It's about it's about the fights. It's about the analyst. Uh, it's about the the former champion that knows a hell of a lot more than I do. It's about the interviewer, the, the the interview subject, you know, yeah. that I'm talking to. And so once I realized that, I wanted to do a lot more of it. And I just had um, my jobs kind of went away from that. I actually used to interview people all the time in local news, and I never knew how to do it. Now, granted, they weren't long form interviews; they were more like in clips. But um, once I learned how to do it, I wanted to flex that muscle. And I went from working at ESPNU covering college sports to, um, to calling live fights. So you talk about going from not many interviews to less, you know, and then I was just like, so I pitched to the USA. I was like, I'd like to do some more interviews. And they set it up like they were accommodating. They were like, I think that's a good idea. Let's do it. But I just haven't been able to do that many of them. It's got to line up. And especially in the pandemic, it's like totally on hold. But I was just like, well, I can do a podcast and interview people. So that's ultimately why I wanted that long form interview show because I was like, I need to like do this more because it's a lot of fun and I, and it's unique. It's, it's still unique content because there's a lot of people that, that don't pour themselves into kind of the art of the interview like that. 
Uh, but before I let you go though, tonight you mentioned you're going head to head with Bisping and Cormier, which which are known for being two guys that you know when they talk, like they they own. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you prepare for something like that, or are you just waiting for there to be a pause and you jump in? Like I assume you can't just go in there and just without preparing something for for guys like that. Well, like I just my job stays the same in terms of calling the fights, yeah, and then. Um, having the background information that I'm comfortable with in terms of how I like to call a fight and a walkout and stuff like that. Like I'm still the leader of the show, but you just have to know who you're working with. So I worked with Bisping a bunch and I've worked with DC a handful of times. So I know what it's like to work with them. And I've worked with both of them too. I think we've done it twice. I think this is the third time we've done this trio. Um, What I understand going in is like, I still want to have as much information as I'm used to having. Um, but I know that they're going to talk a lot. So I have to then be prepared to not try to butt in, like let Bisping have the spotlight and DC and, and understand that they're going to go back and forth. There's going to be three to four minute stretches during fights where I'm not, I don't say anything yeah. and that's okay. But I still have to put the stamp on the big knockouts or the submissions or the finishes. I still have to move our show along. I still have to tee them up on what we're talking about, um, in between and, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things. It's, it's, it's just the flow of it. It's, it's really just understanding the different personalities. Like working with Bisping is different from working with Felder. It's different from working with Dom Cruz and that now I'm with Bisping and DC. So now like they're going to play off each other and they're going to go back and forth and they're going to banter and joke. And they're going to poke fun at me for being a white belt, by the way. And like, we're going to have fun. And the last time I worked with them, I got a text from, um, like my boss's boss. And he was just like, great job tonight. You let DC and Bisping shine. You know, like you, you let them, and I was just like, yeah, DC and Bisping are, is what people want to hear from a hell of a lot more than me. You know, my job is to like put a stamp on the big moments, get the best out of them, move the show along, steer the show and uh, tie up the loose ends. So as long as you're like, know who you're working with and know how to handle it at this point, since I've worked with everybody, I'm, I'm ready. We're going to have a fun, we're going to have a fun show. Uh, before I let you go, I know you like to start off your shows by letting people p- uh, plug their stuff early, which is when most people would be. <laughs> yeah. I'm I w- working I w- on that. I don't always do it. <laughs> I, I would I would do that, but I always forget. And you know, and even Me at too. the end, sometimes I forget. I forget too. But I'm gonna give you a chance. You have social media. You're working tonight. You have a podcast. Yeah. If you like to plug that stuff, now's the time. Social media. I'm at Brendan Fitz TV on Twitter and Instagram, and then uh, the YouTube channel is Fitz Nation. I'm on all, every major podcast platform uh, if you want to just listen to it in audio. And, uh, man, appreciate all the support from anybody who's listened because uh, it's been fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for the time, Brendan. I really appreciate it. Hopefully tonight we don't hear a horse voice. If we do, I'll know it's a little <laughs> bit of my fault. For- See, I won't have a horse voice tonight because they're going to do a lot of talking. So That's I, right. I yeah. in that department. <laughs> Thanks, Lucas. Appreciate right. it, brother. Thanks so much.